You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We are going to continue, but uh, it's going to be a little bit different. I felt like the Lord kind of continued to adjust this message even even during worship. We're, we're talking about this subject, as most of you know, by now we're talking about becoming living stones. And we began this over in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, where Peter told us that as we come to him, Jesus, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, we also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house. And that means a dwelling place, a living, movable, visible demonstration of what the life of, the life of a Jesus follower looks like. We are being gathered to him. We are being, and this is what, again, I really want to drum this this morning, talks about him being the living stone. And then as we come to him, we are, we are being built as living stones. We are being built into the church, into the household of God, the family of God, his representation in the earth, his hands and his feet and his face and his heart in the earth, the church. Okay, and we are all, every single one of us, even if you just gave your life to Jesus two minutes ago, the Holy Spirit is in process. He's working in your heart because the first thing that has to happen with those stones, they're gathered, but then they're shaped. And the Lord is very faithful to shape everyone. Every one of us need to be shaped. When we got pulled out of the dirt, okay, every one of us needed to be shaped and we still need to be shaped. And it's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's renewing our minds. He's changing our hearts. He's making us more like Jesus as we spend time, as we come to him, as we spend time. Yeah, I was thinking about this this morning. We use these terms and they're good terms, but I know sometimes people, we talk about intimacy with the Lord, having intimacy with the Lord. And for some of us, you know, the term intimacy means sex. Well, obviously it doesn't mean that with the Lord. And by the way, it actually shouldn't mean that in our everyday life. Intimacy may result in a sexual relationship with someone, but the sexual relationship, uh, this is not my message today. (laughs) Somebody must need to hear this. The sexual relationship without intimacy, it's dead. It's empty. It's, it's nothing. Intimacy is, is that deep connection and love for someone, that exchange of lives that we have with someone, that heartfelt love and compassion and, and, and interchange, you know, the, the, the conversation. That's what we're invited into with the Lord is to have this deep relationship. You know, not just a surface friendship, and, which is great, but not even just, not even just him as, as Lord and as Savior, but distant. It's not that. It is deep. It is, it is, it's, I can't come up with another word. What's a, what's a good, it's intimate, okay? It's intimate. It's deep. It's powerful. So, so what's happening is that we are all being gathered to him and, and pulled together. And we are being shaped. And he's shaping us individually, first of all, to progressively be molded into his image, to look more like him, to act more like him, to think like him. He's doing that in all of us. And secondly, to fit 
that place in the building of this temple, in the building of this structure called the church, he's got a place for us. He's got a role for us. He's got a place that we fit that nobody else fits. He's got a specific set of gifts and an anointing in your life that I don't carry, nobody else carries, you carry, and, and he's sending you into places that nobody else touches the way you touch. He gathers us together, but then he sends us out. It's like, to me, when I think about the church and I think about how we gather together for worship and to be, the Bible says, to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, to carry out our assignment, it's, it's almost like the Lord's breathing us in and breathing us out and breathing us in. And, and as we're breathed in, as we gather together, we're just supplied with his life and his oxygen and his DNA. And we're being breathed out into the earth and we're carrying him out there. And, and so, so this is what he's doing. And I wanted to read a verse this morning to you, very familiar to many of you, uh, maybe not everybody. The, the, it's Philippians chapter one, verse six. I love the way that it reads from the Amplified Bible. It says, I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. He's shaping us. He's changing us. It's, it's what the Christian life is about. It is a life of transformation. I guess I had that on your screen. There it is. See there? I'm getting ahead of myself. So we've been, we've been talking about this, and, and I don't want to spend much, much time on, you know, this is all, a lot of this is, is review, but we've, we've pulled a lot from Matthew chapter 16, where Peter, I, I believe what Peter wrote in his uh, epistle came from this moment that we have recorded in Matthew chapter 16, where he had this exchange with Jesus, uh, about who Jesus is. And, and the question had been asked, who do people say that I am? And then, and then Jesus specifically asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And again, it just hit me again as I was going through this. That is the question. It is the eternal question that all of us have to answer. Every human being, who is Jesus? Our whole eternity hangs. And everybody you know Everybody you interact with, their eternity hangs on an answer to that question. Who is Jesus? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and let me read this to you. I think the Passion Translation just nails this so well. Because we've, we've broken down a lot of the language around this. But I just wanted to read it to you one more time from this translation, starting in verse 16 of Matthew 16. It says, Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, you are favored and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah, for you did not discover this on your own, but my father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. This is how we are transformed, is by receiving revelation from the Lord. My Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, which means a stone. And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. The word church was not a religious 
term. It was a, it was a term used for a political party. It was, it was a term used for people who came together around a specific belief and agenda and then went out to change things in the earth. And that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus calls his church. And it says, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I believe that means the power of death is not going to be able to overpower the church as we are beating on the gates of hell. I mean, that's really the picture here. We are going out with the power of God, the resurrection power of Jesus to undo the works of the devil. It says that's why Jesus came. He was anointed. Jesus of Nazareth was anointed to undo, untie, loose the works of the devil. And Jesus said, we will do the same works he does and greater works than these shall we do. So I believe it, it's saying that the power of death, the power of hell will not be able to overcome the church, but also it will never overcome this revelation. There'll never be a replacement revelation for the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the only way to the father. There'll never be a replacement for that. It will never be stamped out as hard as mankind might try to find a different solution, a different way to go, you know, besides bowing their knee to Jesus Christ, as hard as mankind might try that, it's never going to happen. That message, the gospel, will never fade from this earth. The word of God, in fact, will stand after all of this is gone, after this earth, after this this world, this, this universe, after the, all of that is gone. The word will not have changed a bit. And that's why we want to build our lives upon that word. All right. So, uh, and then he says, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. And, and so, again, the idea there, we talked about this, I believe it was last week, we talked about this. The idea there is that we're in keys, he's giving us the keys. It means, first of all, access, and second of all, authority. And so the idea is he is giving us free and open access to the Father, to his own heart, to the Holy Spirit, to the kingdom of heaven. And from that access, what we receive through access we are to release through authority. And I wanted to add this because when, you, when we read about this, binding and loosing does specifically mean to declare on earth or to forbid on earth, to release on earth or forbid on earth what has already been declared in heaven or what has already been bound in heaven. But always remember that when, when the Bible talks to us about authority on the earth, God gives us authority to serve, not to dominate where human beings are concerned. We're not supposed to go out there and force people to our interpretation of his will, no matter how right that interpretation may be. We're not to dominate with the authority Jesus gives us. Jesus didn't do that, right? Jesus didn't force everybody to, to conform to him. He offers life to everybody, okay? He didn't force. He didn't go to the cross, get up immediately, and destroy everyone who wasn't accepting his work at the cross, all right? It's not what he did. He came, he says, I came to serve, right? 
So God gives us authority in his name to serve people with the gospel, to serve people with his life, to serve people with his living principles that are in the word, world, in the word. Now, where the devil is concerned, that's a different story. We have authority over him to bind him, to restrain him, to stop his work in other people's lives. And that is serving the Lord and serving them. All right, he did give us the authority over the devil to undo his works, to silence him, to bind him, and to release the life of God toward people. That's what binding and loosing is. But we've always got to keep that straight because we're still human beings. And there's this temptation, we've seen it throughout the ages, for the church to rise up and want to force on people what Jesus did. And I think that usually starts out with a good motivation, but it never ends well. So, so let's keep that, that in mind. So what I felt like the Lord really put on my heart for the, for the remainder of the time we have this morning. So he's shaping us, okay? And so he just gave me this week, just sitting in prayer, and he just gave me a few, I think there's six or seven, characteristics of his church. By no means an exhaustive list here, okay? These are just the ones he happened to put on my heart. But what does this church look like? What does the building that he's putting together look like? What's changing in us? Like I said, he's, he's, he's shaping us inwardly to look more like him. And then he's fitting us together into the body. Okay, does that make sense? You with me so far? All right, so we're just going to look at a handful of these this morning. I'm just going to give them to you the way he gave them to me. Uh, the first one is, what, is the, what does the church look like? Well, it looks like boundless love. Boundless love. There, the Bible talks about the love of God, and it, it talks about his, over in Romans chapter 5, talks about his love having been delivered, shed abroad, the King James says, poured into our hearts. All right, so as we have connected with him, as we, have, as we love him, as we came to him, the way Peter said it, one of the things that happened on the inside of us is when the Holy Spirit came in, he brought the love of God into us. And, and so that works a couple of ways. It enables us to love God properly, but mainly it enables us to love one another. And it is the same love that God has for us. It is the same love empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's already in us. I know we don't operate in it all the time, but that's not how we develop our belief system. We develop our belief system about what the scripture says belongs to us, not about how much of it we've seen so far, okay? So the first characteristic of his church, the first characteristic of somebody that follows the Lord, it's this boundless love. There's no horizon. There's no cutoff point. There's nothing that is a deal breaker where, okay, I'm not going to love that person anymore. There's no border to it. It is a boundless, no boundaries, love. And let me just read to you what this love looks like. Uh, this is actually from W.E. Vine, from Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. Uh, this is the term agape, right? Many of you know that. It's the term, it's a God kind of love. In the Greek, there are four or five, at least, different words for different kinds of love. There's friendship, there's sexual love, there's family love, there's all these different kinds of love. But this one's unique. This, this agape love is only found 
in God's love toward mankind and his giving of himself to mankind and then in what's done in, inside believers. So, um, so here's the definitions. God's love is seen in the gift of his son. All right, well, that's pretty big. We see how God's love works because he laid down his life for all of us. But obviously, this is not the love of complacency or affection. This is a love that was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. In other words, agape is not drawn out of us by something wonderful in somebody else. We love their personality. We love their smile. We love, this is how human love works, and there's nothing wrong with that. But God's love comes totally from within him and is poured out. It's his choice to love. And when we want to function in agape, that's what we need to do. It's already in us. Everybody get that? Say it's in there. Okay. It's already in us by the Holy Spirit. But to release it, we have to make a decision of our will. That I will love this person. God didn't send his son because of what we were going to do back. Okay, He gave himself just as much for the person who will reject him all the way to the grave as he did for those who will receive him. It wasn't to get a response. Human love so often, we give our love and we see what kind of response we get. And if we don't get the response we want, we withdraw that love. That's human love. I don't know if it's even love, but it's, it's the way humans work. Okay? but it's not the God kind of love, okay? It's not agape. All right, so this love was not drawn out of God by any excellency in its objects. It was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice made without assignable cause save that which lies in the nature of God himself. All right, so there was no cause. There was no, oh, man did this. That was so great, so now I'm gonna love. There's none of that. It is an outflow of who God is. The Bible tells us God is agape. Is this making sense to you? Hope so. We can go back. So agape is a direction of the will to value and do good to the deserving and the undeserving. It's not a response of warm affection towards something found to be pleasing in another. It's not that we find something pleasing and so there's this response, there's this warm affection. That's a different kind of love. But the church, believers, have the ability to love with the God kind of love. All right? When instruct, when, this is still all from W.E. Vine, when instructed to love our enemies, it should not be thought of as a command to do what is pleasing to them but a decision to show them goodwill as God would. Okay, we're told to love our enemies. That doesn't mean that, okay, what would would make that person who's attacking my life, what would make them happy? You know, what what do they want me to do? They're attacking me my life. They want me to be different. What what can I change to, to accommodate what they're trying to do? It's not what the Bible's saying. It's saying, I'm making a choice, regardless of what that person ever does, to show them goodwill just the way God would. God sent rain, sends rain, on the just and the unjust, right? That's the love of God. It's not something that is given just to those who deserve it. It's given the same way to the deserving 
and the undeserving. Okay? The person functioning in agape lives their life for the good of others. Agape lays down its life for the good of others. This means agape motivates us to consider others before ourselves. All right? That doesn't mean that living in agape love means I've got to become a doormat for everybody. It, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you have to be walked on. You can. This is what's so amazing about it. You can agape someone. I, I wish we'd used a different word than love. We, we, in English, use love for all these different things. Agape isn't even an emotion. It'll create emotions. But all the fruit of the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit, found over in Galatians chapter 5. All the fruit of the Spirit, they generate emotions in us, but they're not in and of themselves emotions. They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are what is born out of the work of the Spirit in us. So you can love somebody that never loves you back with agape love. You can love somebody that's completely undeserving of your love. And that, you know what that does? That keeps you free. You can forgive somebody that that has not apologized to you and will never apologize to you. You can forgive somebody. You can release these things towards somebody. You don't have to succumb to what they want. You don't even have to have a close relationship. You don't have to have a friendship with somebody that you love. Think of the times that we hear of um, a a mother and, and someone murdered their child, but that mother is a Christian and she's motivated to go and pray with the murderer and tell them, forgive that murderer. Forgive that person that killed her child. That to me, and whenever I hear those news reports, it's like, and it's every time I've heard it, it was a Christian. That's the love of God that has been shed abroad in her heart. There is nothing natural about that. There's absolutely nothing natural about that. So agape enables us to love beyond our own natural limits. We can love in ways that we could, we could never do. And the awesome thing is when you give somebody God's love and God's compassion, you know, we get hung up on, well, if they don't receive it, then they're, you know, they're misusing me. They're, they're, uh, they're violating me. They're using me. And the idea is, no, when I give somebody something, if I give somebody something, if I understand what giving means, I have given it to them. It doesn't belong to me anymore. And nobody can take advantage of me when I've given them a gift. If they, if they throw the gift out the window, that's their deal. I gave them the gift. God gave his son. And some people understand who he is and still throw him out the window. And God doesn't withdraw his love from them. He still sends the rain. You still, you know, it's, it's a, it is absolutely a supernatural kind of love. And the scripture tells us it has already been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's, here's one. Talk about how miraculous agape is. You can love somebody who doesn't agree with you politically. Whoa. You can, you can, you can have a disagreement with somebody and actually not be hating them. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, I mean, our culture wants to tell us, if you disagree with me, you hate me. That's a lie. That's nothing but a lie, okay? It's just a lie. So don't even get all upset about it. Just let it go. It's a lie. There's lots of lies out there, okay? 
you can love somebody that's of a different political party. Man, God's love is supernatural. You know, and, and it doesn't matter. I mean, this is, this is the truth. You know, we can find all kinds of other interpretations, not of the scripture, but just of the way life works. We can, you know, oh, well, a TikTok influencer said, well, as Charles Neiman would say, shut up. Just, just shut that voice up, okay? And, and listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said over and over and over uh, about various things. He said, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. We're all going to hear all kinds of things, but the one we want to listen to is what he says. All right, let me, let me read these verses to you. We can't talk about love without going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, so we'll do that. I thought we'd get through all seven of these. It's not looking that way thus far. Um, so, so just listen to this. This is just a day to kind of let the words soak in. Um, I'll read it from the Amplified because it's louder. So verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. It's, just think about these characteristics of this kind. This is all about agape love. Agape, or love, agape, endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly. It does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Wow. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. That's powerful. Love is what keeps our hopes from fading under circumstances. And it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, never becomes obsolete or comes to an end. So the idea there, again, we can look at that list and we can say, man, I don't function in all that all the time. Well, none of us do. But what I want us to get today, it's in us. All right, it is possible to by faith walk more and more and more and more in the love of God. Okay, so it's, it's one of the primary char characteristics uh, of who the church is. Let's see if we can get through a couple more. Inexhaustible patience, perseverance and endurance. When the New Testament talks about patience, it gives us two forms of patience. It's interesting that these are divided, but they are. One form is the fruit of the Spirit, patience, that is found. It's actually in many of your translations, it says uh, forbearance. <clears throat> it is a patience specifically with people. Okay, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because everything, all the fruit of the Spirit is a representation of God's nature working through us. So God is very patient with people. How many of you can say, thank God, right? He's very patient with people. He just keeps working with us over and over and over. So there's that kind of patience that gives us the ability to be very patient and, and long-suffering. I said forbearance, actually the word long-suffering. 
with people. There's a second kind of patience that is not a fruit of the Spirit, and it is patience toward circumstances. It's a different word. And it's, so it's the idea of perseverance. It's the idea of endurance. It's the idea of being able to stand up under. It's that kind of patience. That is not a fruit of the Spirit because God is not bothered by circumstance. So God doesn't need to have that kind of patience, but he gave it to us as a grace, is what we find in the New Testament. So a couple of verses, Ephesians chapter 4, you can just write these down. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, this talks about the first kind, the, the kind of patience toward people. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, appeal to and beg you to walk and lead a life worthy of the divine call to which you've been called, with behavior that's a credit to the summons to God's service, living as becomes you with complete humility, lowliness of mind, meekness, which is unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, with patience, bearing with one another and making allowances because you love one another. Okay, so because this love works in our hearts, we have the ability to make allowances for other people. None of the people we're going to work with, you know, this comes into those stones being fit together into the same wall, into the same place, into the same church. There are those times where we have to make allowances for people. We have to make allowances for their humanity. You know, we we have to make allowances and just realize that, you know what, I just need to be praying for this person right now, okay? Rather than every time there's a problem, a grievance, then we, you know, we get bristly, we act like porcupines, we puff up, we get up, we walk away from a relationship that God established. Instead, we have the ability working in us through the God kind of patience, which comes from the God kind of love, we have the ability to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to love one another, to give people room, okay? And when we don't do that, the scripture tells us that when we don't forgive, number one, um, we stay on that kind of thing, we hold a grudge, we do whatever. Number one, it gives the devil, the Bible says, a foothold, a toehold in our lives. And he shouldn't have any toeholds in our lives because of the blood of Jesus. But it gives him a, a crack in the armor. It gives him a place to begin to work. And it also says that a root of bitterness can develop on the inside of us. And when a root of bitterness starts to work, then bitterness starts to flow out of us. And it says many can be destroyed because we let a root of bitterness work in us. So it's really important that we let these characteristics work through us. That makes sense. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, it tells us, this is the other kind of patience. Do not fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. For you have need of steadfast patience and endurance. I have need of steadfast patience and endurance. This is patience and endurance under about circumstances, about things we see around us in life, about unexpected things. It's towards circumstances. It says you have need of steadfast patience and endurance so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full what is promised. So it's saying if we don't function, 
if we don't allow this grace to flow in us and give us courage and give us strength and give us the ability to hold on to hope, if we don't have that endurance as Christians that God gives us, then as circumstances don't go the way you want, we can, we can miss what God's promises. It says to fully accomplish his will, we've got to be able to stand through negative circumstances. Life isn't always going to go the way we want it to. It just isn't. Things are going to come up. Things are going to happen. Some of it from people. Some of it, well, almost all of it from decisions, you know, people are making one way or another. But, you know, things don't always go the way we thought. We've got to be able to, and God gives us the ability to endure, persevere, push forward, hang on to the promise. Okay? That's a, that is a good word. This, this term means courageous endurance that will not allow the believer to give up or retreat in the face of contrary circumstances. We don't just give up. You know, there's a theology out there that I just don't like very much that, that says everything that happens in life came from God. It's all God has initiated. God has, so, so what's my response to that? Well, if, if God sent this circumstance into my life, then I better just flow with it. I mean, that's what's considered godly and that let that circumstance run over your life and, and keep you from accessing whatever he promised. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe that there are many times where we need to stand up and fight the devil to receive. And sometimes we've just got to fight our own thinking, our own believing. We've got to have a, have a little fight with ourselves to hang on to the promise of God because if God promised it, he will do it. And it's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's for people around us. Life works better when God's promises are flowing. So, so don't let yourself be robbed. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So that means not everything that comes into your life is coming from the hand of God. And so, yes, be reverent toward God. Seek him. Find out what's going on, but find out what our response is to be to these things. Because if we just, if we do not have this steadfast courage and endurance, and we, we let circumstances drive us off of something that God planted and God started and God promised, we may not perform the will of God or receive what he promised to us. And that's a shame. It's just a shame. You know, it's, it's just a shame. It doesn't mean God's will won't get done. It will. But you may exempt yourself from it if you don't function in this kind of patience. All right? It, it's what allows us to finish strong. I think we've got time for probably just this last one. Preposterous peace. That's just the way the Lord said it to me. Preposterous peace. Peace that the Bible says passes understanding. It makes no sense. In a lot of these, and you can see how linked these are. These all come, these are all aspects of his agape love. Peace that goes way beyond your understanding. That, you know, life can really stink and things are going on and things are falling apart around me. And yet, I can lay awake at night and worry about it, but I also can just draw on the peace of God and I can have peace in my heart. And I can have peace in my heart when my mind is asking all kinds of questions and trying to beat down the door, I can hold on to peace because God has given us a peace. He is, he is the God of all peace. Jesus, one of Jesus' titles is King of Peace. King of Salem means King of Peace. He, is, he has given us his peace. He, to, 
he told us over in John 16, this is my interpretation. This is my translation. He said, sometimes life is going to really suck. And I've told you that because so that you will have peace. All right. You, you can take it back into your Bible translations. John 16, what, 33 or something. says, you know, uh, things are going to come against you. But I have said this. I've told you all these things. I'm, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. All this stuff is going to happen. I've told you this ahead so that in you there can be perfect peace. Okay? The idea is this is a peace that is not, it defies, it supersedes mental chaos and it defies outward turmoil. It's that kind of peace. And just read you these verses and we'll quit for today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, one of my favorites. Let the peace of Christ, let you let, you let. Don't stop it, let it. That means we can do it, okay? Let the peace of Christ rule as an umpire in your heart, settling with finality all the questions and controversies that can arise in your mind, all right? So there's all this stuff arising in my mind, but you know what? If I just hang on to the peace of God, it, that peace, I know. I see that, I see that. It looks like it's going to go this way. Yep, that looks bad. Yep, that looks terrible. But you know what? I have the peace of God that this is all going to work out. Or I have the peace of God to handle it this way. Uh, that's where the peace is. I can think about this solution. Eh, it doesn't feel good on the inside. I can think about that solution. No, nope, got a real check about that. But it makes perfect sense, my brain will say. My brain, it's like my brain and my heart will stand there and argue with each other. But that makes perfect sense. That's the way we should do it. That's the way. And yet, you know in your heart, that's not the way. The peace is on following this path. So you just start walking down that path. You choose that path of peace. You're going to find that's where the Lord is every time. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace. Oh, that's good, but there's not a period there. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, both its inclination, that means the direction it's going, and its character is stayed on you, on the Lord, because he commits himself to you. He leans on you. He hopes confidently in you. I need to read that again. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind, both its inclination and its character is stayed on you, on the Lord, because he commits himself to you. He leans on you. He hopes confidently in you. This peace is so powerful that Jesus said, talk about us being living stones. We can go into a place. Remember when Jesus kept walking through doors on the disciples after he was raised from the dead? They're all in there terrified. He knows they're terrified. They're in there praying. He knows. And yet he'd walk through the, he'd walk through the, through the wall and just show up. And, you know, they, they would all, you know, I can't imagine that didn't startle some people. But he'd always say, it just cracks me up. I think he just has a great sense of humor. He'd startle everybody and then he'd say, peace be with you peace be with you. But Jesus said, this peace is so powerful, we can walk into a place, and this will serve some of you in the holidays, okay? You can walk into your family's house. There can be all kinds of turmoil in there. Your, the peace you have, he said, we can walk in and we can release that peace. And he said, if it's not received, just take it back to yourself. In other words, don't you take on the turmoil. Just take the peace back to yourself. Don't lose your peace. But 
it is more powerful than the argument, the turmoil, the strife, the whatever's going on in that place, what's in you. That can be such a blessing. You can walk into your workplace and you can release peace. You can walk in there, you know, and, and you, can, you can walk in to some place where there's just the stuff starting to go on and people are starting to nap and you can release the peace of God into that place. And it's more powerful than whatever turmoil's in there. Sometimes our prayer just needs to be peace, be still, okay? That's a, it's a good prayer to pray at Thanksgiving and Christmas. All right, we'll stop there for today. Did you get something out of this? All right, let's pray together. You can stand to your feet if you'd like. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. God, I am so grateful. All of these things, these are not things you're demanding of us. These are things you've provided for us. These are things you want to do through us. And as these things happen, as your love flows through us in supernatural ways, as your patience flows through us, as your peace flows through us, as these different things, as we find the ability to forgive somebody, Lord, whatever it might be, we, it's like we get to stand there and see it happen. It's, it's, it's you working through us. And it amazes us as much as it amazes anybody else. It's, it's just supernatural. And Lord, that's where we want to live. And Lord, as we are being shaped and as we are fitting together with one another and as we are going on assignment into the world this very week, Lord, we, we believe, Lord, we trust, we carry these qualities because your Holy Spirit lives in us is upon us and flows through us. And so this morning, we just say, thank you. Help us, remind us. When we get into that turmoil situ situation, help, help us, remind us to, to hold peace and to release peace, Lord. As we get into any tough situations, Lord, thank you. Lord, uh, we, we trust that your love is in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, help us to bring it out. Help us to live the way Jesus lived, to be followers of Jesus. And we thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in just a few minutes here, 10 minutes or so, we'll come. If you're volunteering next week for Parents Day Out, we'll have a meeting in here and uh, answer any questions that you have, okay? I think that's it. Say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. And we'll be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.